Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, saying hi to you today from Bolivia, and I'm hoping that I'm being heard. Can somebody just, Erica, am I being heard? Loud and clear, Jeannie, it's wonderful. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> appreciate that. It's uh, today, our, the passage that we are, we've arrived to in Colossians is a passage that is sometimes introduced as the rules for Christian households. Even though it doesn't specifically say that, that's often the way that it is introduced in many of our Bibles. And so this is a passage that I have to admit I approached with a lot of uh, trepidation and uh, a little bit of fear because it's, it's a passage that has been used in many ways as a kind of battering ram rather than as an as a object of encouragement. I grew up in a very macho culture here in Latin America, and I was uh, even my church culture diminished the role or the position of women. And so I, was, I, I came in, I kind of grew up fighting for my place as a woman. And I have to admit that in the, the marriage preparation courses that we followed with Peter, I think we spent the entire six weeks with me trying to grapple with what it meant to submit myself to my husband. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched the film uh, Harriet by about the story about Harriet Tubman, who was a freed slave who courageously went and freed other slaves um, in, in the South. But there is a scene at the very beginning of the movie where it's a Sunday morning and the slaves and the slave owners are, are gathered together and the preacher preaches them and opens Colossians and says, today we're going to be reading from Colossians 3 and you kind of know what's coming. Oops, there's the bell going. <laughs> I hope that it's not too interfering. And so the, the, the preacher reads the story about, reads the passage from Colossians about s slaves honoring their masters in every way. And we kind of cringe at the way that this passage has been used really to keep people down. We see the kind of way it weighs heavily on all the slaves as they're listening to this. So I was really trying to struggle with how do we, how do we present this? And I, I've actually heard many, many sermons on this passage and its parallel in Ephesians 5 and 6, and some of them were actually very, very good. But I didn't feel like that was where we needed to go. As I was reading Colossians and trying to grapple with what uh, Trevor had said, that really this part of Colossians, the middle part and then just the, this ending too, is, is just the ethical response to the foundational truth that Paul has been presenting in Colossians 1 and 2. And it seemed to me that the way to deal with this impossibly high standard that we're being held to for ethical behavior in the church and Christian homes is actually at the beginning of the chapter, that we can't disconnect the end in the middle of the chapter from the very beginning. And I want to sort of go there today because as I read Colossians and was reading it a little bit in parallel also with Ephesians, I think that one of the things that struck me so much was the the high view, not only of Jesus the Messiah, but also the magnificence of the church. In Ephesians, Paul says that the mystery is that through what God is doing in Jesus as Lord and Messiah, he is revealing the manifold wisdom, his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers through the church. Is that possible? Is it possible that Jesus is nailing, is disarming the powers and principalities through the body, through what he is doing in the body, right in the beautiful poem about the supremacy of Christ 
in Colossians, we see that in the middle of that is the statement that he is the head of the body, the church. So what does it mean to be and to be enact that, not as a, not as a kind of social norm about the establishment way of doing things, but what if the way that we are with one another, what if the way that we are in Christian households are actually profoundly subversive acts that disarm the principalities of power powers and put them to open shame because they run so counter to the system of self-gratification, power and control that is the rule of the kingdom of darkness. Today I want to offer the idea that the key to embodying the attitudes and behaviors of this high ethical standards portrayed in Colossians 3 is actually to go back to the beginning and, and really delve into the part of that chapter that says that we need to seek the things that are above and to set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is, to really meditate deeply on what Christ has done for us and who we are in him that we can counter the division and self-seeking behavior by choosing to set our minds on the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm so thankful today that we also have the psalm and the reading from Jeremiah that really profoundly speaks about the importance of what we do with our minds and the way that we meditate can actually not only profoundly change us and bring us prosperity, but can actually keep us counter to the counsel of the wicked and the way of the scoffer. I want to thank Patty, for the beautiful songs that she chose today that take us there. Would you bow with me just as we open our hearts to the Lord for him to speak through us? Lord God, we cannot ever get to the end of the riches of what you have done for us and the way that you love us and brought us home in Jesus. And the mystery that you have given us one another to be a new humanity with Jesus as our head. Lord, would you please help me to speak your words of truth today? Would you please, by your spirit, Lord Jesus, help us to hear what we need to hear? Cognitive behavioral science tells us that the way that we think affects the way that we feel. And how we feel then conditions our behaviors. This is, has been the basis of very effective strategies to deal with anxiety and depression. Because our instinctual feelings as animals in the world is anxiety and fear as we scan the environment for any danger that is coming our way. And our instinctual behaviors are some form of fight, flight, or freeze. Be cognitive behavioral science tells us, though, that we can actually modulate both our feelings and our reactive behaviors by choosing how to think. And this has been a very powerful uh, tool used for managing anxiety and depression, as I've already said. The reality that we can actually hit a pause button between an insult and a response is very, very powerful. And it's not just powerful in the human condition, in our human mental health, but it's even more powerful when we can locate this in the truth of what Jesus has done for us. I want to, I just want to be clear that I'm using the word insult in its generic term um, of a challenge. So 
Uh, for instance, the coronavirus is an insult to our immune system. It's not personal. It's just simply a challenge that our immune system has to rise to. Falling and slipping on the ice is an insult to your knee. And uh, it's, it's not personal. It's just what your knee has to deal with now as it heals and recuperates. A careless word by someone can be an insult to your feelings, to your ego, or to your family honor, even though it's not intended that way. And of course, it's particularly an insult when it is intentional. And the health of any system, uh, whether it's your immunal, uh, immune system or your musculoskeletal system, your ego system, or even the church, depends on its capacity to withstand and respond to insults. So today I want to talk about how God, through our minds, can help us actually respond uh, and as we understand the depth of the, what we have received in Jesus, that we can actually have a new way of responding, that we can put off the old behaviors and respond in the new way that is uh, described in Colossians. One of the wonders of uh, creation is that God has endowed humans with choice, with the freedom to choose. That translates into the freedom to choose God or not. And there are big moments of choice, but I want to much of the choice happens in that micro-opportunity, that micro-pause between insult and response. And so the premise today is that as we set our minds on the magnificence of God and the unsearchable riches of Christ, that the inevitable, inevitable irritation and conflict that we experience in church and home will get right-sized and the attitudes and behaviors that into attitudes and behaviors that are reflected in Colossians number two. Even if they don't come entirely natural, they become possible. That's how I see it. Last week, Trevor said that the root of the grasping, self-serving, greedy, angry, duplicitous behavior is our certainty or faith, rather, that there is this in scarcity, that there's not enough for anyone, that we have to grab what we can while we can. And sometimes I think that religion and religious behavior has often been enacted in a in a uh, ambience of scarcity, a sense that there's not really enough salvation or forgiveness to go around. It's that spirit of scarcity that leads us to judge who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, who agrees with me, who doesn't, and I'm walking away if you if I, if you don't agree with me. I think it is one of the sad um, legacies of Protestants that we actually find it easier to go to walk away from people we don't agree with and that we've created so many identities within um, within our Christian church that correspond to different doctrines that we assent to, often more than when we thinking about the Lord who accomplished completely our salvation. How easy it is to state the doctrine that Jesus became incarnate and was fully human and fully God. Just, I mean, but if you think about it, if you think, what if that's true? Doesn't that change everything about how magnificent God thinks humans are? Isn't it amazing to think that by gracing humanity with his presence, God thinks that even those irritating humans that we live and go to church with are magnificent. Doesn't that change the way that we think about them? I titled today's sermon, What If It Were True, as a question that makes me, that makes us think about the implication of the truth claims that we see in Colossians and that we say that we believe in. And the reason I said, what if it were true rather than what if it is true, is because I think that that conditional and subjunctive sense always invites us to think about 
If this is true, then what does imply for me? What does it imply to actually trust that this is the truth? And I think that that truth, the internalization of the truths that we claim to be true and that are said in Colossians, help us pause between the insult and response in the way that we deal with the church and with our, each other in our homes. I want to affirm what, what Trevor said last week that the good news of Jesus our Messiah is news of gracious and outrageous generosity and abundance, that it is magnificent. And I'm just inviting us more and more in all kinds of different ways to fill our minds with the magnificence of who God is, the magnificence of Jesus, the magnificence of creation. I want to really talk about some of the things that are said in Colossians. I kind of went crazy this week when I was thinking about it, so I had to choose. So obviously, let's just focus on what it says in Colossians. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the exact image of God. What if that were true? It means that Jesus portrays how God is towards me. Jesus is reveals that God loves and reaches out constantly to humanity, that he is Abba. I don't know why somehow in my Christian life I've managed to internalize a harsh, judging image of God. I wonder if that's sometimes what religion can do to us, that we can begin to think that we had something to do with all of this. And that's why Paul was so anxious for the Colossian believers not to get into sucked into any humanly devised code or system, even when it's attached to a beautiful tradition like Judaism. As I choose to believe that the way that Jesus interacted with others as I read about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the way that God has ever been towards humanity in his creation in every aspect of things. I read scriptures again differently, and I feel myself softening. I find myself softening towards myself even in compassion, and certainly softening towards others around me, even when I don't agree or think that they're doing the right thing. Jesus accomplished through the cross the reconciliations of humans and humanity to Abba. What if that were true? What if that were true? When I choose to trust that truth, I recognize that nothing I have done, nothing I can do, nothing I do has anything to do with my salvation. It is all done by Jesus. All I can do is believe and receive it and rejoice in it. Jesus accomplished on the cross for humans and humanity, not something that was imposed on him, something he chose, and that God was co-suffering with him on the cross. This means that none of the people I love will be excluded from God's grace and salvation, that he will always be after them, he will always be loving them, always be reaching out to them. None of the people I don't love or even like are actually excluded from God's love and salvation. He's always reaching out to them. He's always loving them, always seeking them. There is nothing, Paul says in Colossians, that can be added to done, added to, to increase or decrease the total salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us. It is just magnificent. It is 
it's it's actually hard to get our minds around that something this magnificent can be ours. I don't really know how to embody the the death to the old self that Paul talks about in this book. But I realize that as I begin to focus on the magnificence of Jesus and everything that he's done, the way that he reveals God, I begin to lessen my grasp on my self-protection, my grab for prow and control, and I soften into a trust in the way of the Messiah who loved me and gave himself for me. And he didn't just give himself for me, but for all who trust in him. And that includes this new creation of new humanity that he's been brought us, he's brought us into that is so magnificent. And this is that new humanity that Jesus calls his body. That is awesome. And with the enacted affirmation of the magnificence of the abundance of the outrageous and ostentatious, ostentatious grace that is in Jesus, we realize that there is no Gentile or Jew, no barbarian or sophisticate, no slave, no master, no Protestant, Orthodox, or Roman Catholic, no Calvinist, Armenian, Pentecostal, Brethren, or Anglican, no vaxxer, anti-vaxxer, no conservative, liberal, but Jesus the Messiah is all and in all. If that is true, if that is true, then we can afford in the generosity of grace to put on tender mercy with one another, to be humble, kind, and patient, to bear with one another, to be as quick to forgive as we realize we have been forgiven in Jesus, to be filled with expressions of wisdom and remindering of one another of the magnificence of God with thanksgiving. There is no part of my life that is exempt from the grace of new life in Jesus, and most especially not the ordinary everyday life, the sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life that we have, to quote Eugene Peterson. The life of being a husband and a wife, mutually loving one another in the magnificent example of Jesus. The life of a child and a parent, obeying and encouraging one another in the name of Jesus. The life of servants and masters, imagine mutually caring for one another out of the abundance of God's grace in Jesus and the realization that we have a master in heaven. As we step into the trust in the truth that our life is truly hidden in Jesus the Messiah, and that is where our true life is, our minds can be rewired to be able to pause between the insult and the response we can, by meditating on the wonder of that, we can choose to trust in the magnificence and generosity of that truth. We can engage as a church and Christian households in the profoundly subversive acts that disarm the principalities of powers of gratification, self-gratification and control. And we can affirm the preeminence of Jesus, the preeminence of Jesus the Messiah, and we can be grounded and built up in the way of Jesus as we walk out into the world. Praise be to God.